All right. Good morning. A couple of announcements before we get started. I forgot to mention at the top. I was too excited about our baby dedication. Um, uh, we are continuing our Wednesday night uh, singing class. Uh, we are learning more new songs. Uh, and again, I think this is a great opportunity for us to get together and sing. Even if you're not a great singer like me, it's still a great opportunity just to come and learn new songs. And again, these new songs give you new words kind of to think about God and a new kind of verses to kind of have in your mind as you go through your days. I've been really blessed by it. I know everybody who's been coming has been as well. So that's continuing on Wednesday night, 6.30. Love to see you there. Um, also, I forgot to mention this morning um, that Daryl Clark did pass away earlier this year. Uh, Daryl has been a member for, for some time, and he came forward a few weeks ago. Uh, just with a lot of things going on in his life, some some bad health problems. Um, he was in the hospital early, earlier this week, and um, he uh, just things did not go very well for him, and so he did pass away. We definitely want to be praying for the family and his wife Betty as they mourn uh, this loss. So let's go to God in prayer this morning uh, for that family. God, we mourn the loss uh, of of Daryl Clark, and um, I know that he's uh, been struggling a lot with his health, and he's you know come forward before the church asking for prayers and. Definitely a man who, who loved Jesus and um, lived his life in reflection of that. So we want to pray for his family, especially his wife Betty, as they mourn his loss and as they go the next few steps in these next few weeks that are going to be very, very difficult for them. I just definitely want to be praying for them and for them to find peace at this time. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm really appreciative that Leon was able to preach last week about the sonship and the fathership of God. And really, really blessed by that word. Uh, I know that you guys were as well. And we're going to touch a little bit on that again this, this uh, morning. But before we get there, I want to bring you back to 2018. Um, 2018, I was uh, doing youth ministry in Oxford, Mississippi. And we took a group to Huntsville, Alabama for a mission trip. One of the best trips we've ever done. It was actually three youth groups coming together to do a service project and do some you know, housing stuff. Also some food pantry stuff. If you ever want to see a food pantry the size of Costco... Go to Huntsville, Alabama, and you can be put to work for like six straight hours. It's amazing. I love that place. It's called the Manor House. Um, but anyway, uh, it's a great trip, and we're staying actually on the floor of a bigger church in Huntsville. Uh, as, as youth groups do, they bring their air mattresses, and wherever there's a shower and a floor to sleep on, there we will be also. Uh, so we would stay, we would work all day, and we'd come back to this church. We'd get the air mattresses out, play games at night. They had a big basketball court. It was actually an amazing space. Really, really enjoyed that time. So during the week, actually, one of the other youth ministers, his name was Grant, was close friends with the youth minister of, church, of the church we were staying at. So Grant and him were talking, and the other youth minister was saying, hey, why don't you guys come join us for worship on Wednesday night? You can come be part of our teen service. It would be really great for us to all come together, one huge group, and do that. And Grant was like, sure thing. So that Wednesday, uh, we go out to do our work. We're chipping paint or whatever youth groups do on mission trips and stuff like that. And Grant comes to me and says, hey, like you got devotional tonight, right? And a little bit of backstory is that Grant used to like to tease me a lot. And, like, make me, like, really insecure about myself. So I assumed when he said, you got devotional tonight, I thought he was kidding. Um, that's a trick he would play on me so that I would sweat and be like, oh, I didn't know I had this. And so I thought I had finally figured out my friend Grant, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to play along with it. Yeah, I'm ready for tonight's devotional. It's not even our church, right? It's the, like we're, We are visitors here, and I'm thinking we're going to join their service, and, and that's that. So I'm like, yeah, sure, I'm ready. Whatever, man. You're not going to get me this time. You can probably see where the story is going. 
Um, so we do our work and we get to church service that night. It's probably like six o'clock and we're all, everybody's in there. There's probably close to like 50, 75 people somewhere in that ballpark. And I'm sitting there talking to some of the teens and Grant's like, you ready to go? I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to go. <laughs> A sure thing, man. You're not going to get me this time. So I'm sitting in the back, you know, I got my Bible, I'm ready for Bible study, and then the youth minister of the church gets up in the front, he says, hey, thank you for everyone being here tonight, we got some uh, visiting youth groups, and actually, uh, Jimmy Devine is going to be bringing our devotional tonight, and even in that moment, I said, he's even got him involved. So I'm like, sure thing. And I didn't believe him until he said, why don't you come up here? I'm going to pray over you before we, before we get started. And I was like, I guess I'm going to speak tonight. <laughs> so I go up there, and he prays over me. And I do the thing where um, after he prayed, I also prayed so I could buy some time. And I'm like, in the back, of, I'm like, i got to figure something out here really fast. And I did. And honestly, I, I make it out to be a big, it was more along the lines of what I'm trying to get you to resonate with was that stomach-dropping feeling where it's like, oh, man, I'm not prepared for this, right? And granted, I had been a youth minister for several years. I had plenty of things I could say, ready to go. We had a whole summer theme for the whole youth group. So it wasn't that crazy of a thought to actually come up with something on the spot. And But it was that feeling, though, of I'm not prepared for this, but I kind of already am prepared for this, right? It's one of those feelings where... um, I had been doing youth ministry for a long time. Now, if that would have happened year one, maybe I would have sweated a little bit. I'm not saying that was the greatest lesson. I have no idea what I even talked about that night. But I was a little bit more prepared for that moment than I would have been five years prior to that, or definitely ten years prior to that, right? And I'm sure you are in a very similar place in your life, maybe professionally, or maybe as a parent, or maybe whatever it is. Like You get into situations where five years prior to that, you would not have known what to do whatsoever, right? Whether that be you know, at, at work where you, you might have a similar situation. All right, go ahead and present your, your report. And you're like, I don't know. I don't have a report to present to you. But that stomach drop feeling, it, it's, not, it's not so bad when you have been prepared or you have been preparing for some time. But nevertheless, there is that time where it's like, oh, it's go time now. It's go time now. I've been prepared. I've been doing what I need to do so I can be prepared. But now it's time to perform. And I kind of get that whole feeling that I was kind of telling you about from 2018. I kind of get that feeling when we jump into Luke chapter 4. Right? And I don't want to be so repetitive to, to like bore you to death, but we've been talking a lot about preparing the way for Jesus, right? I think Luke 1 through 3 is really like Act 1 of all this preparation work that Jesus is being put through even before he's born, right? We talked all about how Mary and Joseph, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they're the preparers of the one who's going to prepare the way, and eventually Jesus is going to be there. But we talked about how the entire life prior to Jesus going and doing was all about this preparation, all the hands that had to go into this preparatory work, all leading up to what Leon talked about last week, right? The baptism of Jesus, the ultimate, what I want to call a freeze-frame moment, right? At the end of the movie, this beautiful thing happens. Jesus goes into the water. This dove comes down. The heavens are separated. And God says, you are my son. With you, I am well pleased. And if this is a movie, that might be the end of the movie. The whole climax, roll credits, were done. Fantastic. But we know that's not how the story goes. Right? The story goes from that place to this place, the wilderness. 
But Jesus was prepared. And I love how um, this whole scene is kind of set, right? He goes from this baptism moment to the wilderness. But on the way there, we get this little bit of insight here in Luke chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. Look at verse 1 there. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. We need to make sure that this is on our minds as we go into the wilderness. This specifically right here, led by the Spirit. Into this place of testing, into this place of true temptation, he is led there by the Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a terrible gift, I feel like, to give to somebody. You had this great experience, right? This great baptism, freeze-frame moment, the culmination of all this preparation, God speaking to Jesus, you are my son, but now you've got to go do something incredibly difficult. But he is led there, nevertheless, by the Spirit. It seems like there's significance there. Now, when you are reading Scripture, if something reminds you of something else, it's probably supposed to, okay? And when we hear wilderness, you should be, you know, rewind back thousands of years, right, to all the different Israelites who were wandering through the wilderness. You talk about the people leaving Egypt. You talk about David living in the wilderness. This wilderness uh, motif is very, very significant. But in this specific example, I'm taken back to Exodus chapter 13, And this is when the Israelites are leaving Egypt. This is what Scripture says. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night a pillar of fire to to give them light, so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. This is what I think we're supposed to be brought to. Okay, this representation, this is not just some kind of random icon that the the Israelites are going to be following. I believe this is the Holy Spirit guiding God's people through the wilderness. Right, if you remember, God led them this way for a purpose. They're going through the wilderness, not randomly, right, for a purpose, and they're led by the Spirit every step of the way. Very significant in verse 22, never left its place in front of the people. The Spirit doesn't leave them. And so then we fast forward to Jesus where he has this huge moment, right? This baptism moment. You are my son. We have the Israelites who have this huge moment. They leave Egypt. And where are they both taken? Into the wilderness. Who is, both, who is leading both of these groups of people? The Spirit. And we need to see Jesus in this context as the idealized version of Israel. He is going to fulfill everything God's people has not been able to fulfill since the beginning of time. Jesus being led by the Spirit. Jesus experiencing real temptations, right? Um, Stephen just read for us these, these temptations that Jesus encounters, right? Turn this stone into bread. And Jesus, of course, responds, no, no way, man. There's not a chance I'm doing that. I'm not going to do that. And he he quotes scripture back to to the devil. And he's taken up to this high place and says, throw yourself off. He's taken to these kingdoms and said, these could all be yours. Just bow down and follow me. And every single time, Jesus says, no way. I'm going to follow God. I love God too much. And really, you have no purpose in trying to get me to do these things because these things are already mine anyway. Right? And I see all these different examples here of Jesus emptying himself of submitting to the power of God and not submitting to the power of the devil or the power of the world, right? He says God's power is enough. God's power is sufficient. He empties himself. 
You know, I look at these temptations, and I'm like, man, you could have taken a few of those things, and I think everything would have been fine, but that's my flawed humanity, right? But Jesus takes it a step further and says, no way, I am going to empty myself completely. I am going to show you how Israel ought to have acted, how we ought to act in times of adversity. Empty myself, give myself over to God, and see what happens. Where Israel struggled, right, if you remember even the time where they go out and Moses goes up to receive the Ten Commandments, what, is the, what do the Israelites do? They run in direct opposition to God, right? They're like, let's make a golden calf. Let's worship something else right now, please. Where the Israelites struggled in the wilderness, Jesus is successful in the wilderness. And we leave this place, and I want you to have this in the back of your mind. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. That sounds ominous. Let's continue reading here in verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that had come from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and, and you will tell me, do, do here in your hometown what we have heard you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there are, were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. And when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the, to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. It's so interesting here because I, 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 get, I go to this section here about Jesus going back to his hometown. And I have this idea that people are just you know, turned off by Jesus immediately. But that's not really what we get at the very beginning of this, right? Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. So he's doing stuff and people are talking about it. People are really, really encouraged by this. And even when he goes to... Um, speak to them, and he reads that first section there, they're kind of amazed at these words. But something changes here in the middle of all of this that happens in verse 22. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. And I don't know why, and, and maybe this is me just reading into this, but I see these two accounts where Jesus is tempted by the devil and Jesus goes to his hometown as two sides of the same coin. 
really, and I think that there's something kind of big going off. And it seems to me when he's talking to the devil, he has much more of a even conversation, a back and forth with. But for whatever reason, this conversation with the people here in this place, it just sets Jesus off. He seems to be much more angry in this place than he was in the temptations that he experienced in the wilderness. And again, this might just be me reading into it, but let's just think for a second why that is. Let's really get back to you know, what's going on in, in Jesus' mind, right? He goes into this case study mode, right, where they're questioning this. Isn't this Joseph's son? And then all of a sudden he jumps to this. He says, you know what? There are a whole lot of widows in Israel. But Elijah went to Sidon. There's a whole lot of people with leprosy all over Jerusalem, but yet he goes to the non-Jewish person and heals him. What Jesus is communicating to these people is that God's people rarely listen to God's voice. Here I am in flesh and blood, and you still do not even see it. God's people have a hard time hearing directly from God. God's people might be even a little bit blind to the fact that God is here in the flesh. They're hearing these words. They're encouraged by them at first, but then this question comes to their mind. Isn't this Joseph's son? And I can't help but go back to what Leon preached about last week. Right? This kind of identity crisis that Jesus is going to walk through his entire life. And I couple these two things together along with what Leon preached last week. The first one is the question that Satan, the devil, keeps posing to Jesus. If you are the Son of God, and then he goes to his hometown The question is, isn't this Joseph's son? And in the prior chapter, Jesus has been affirmed of his identity in a very, very real way. You are my son. I am well pleased. And he's prepared for this moment. But then the boots are on the ground. It's time to do the work. And he's questioned on his identity from the very beginning. His identity is affirmed, but then immediately questioned by everybody. And you've got to think. There's something to this. There's so much in unison here between the temptation of Jesus and him going to his hometown, right? He's led by the Spirit into this place in both of these ways. At the very end of the story, he's led up to a high hill where it's like, hey, see what there is? Throw yourself off. Hey, we're going to throw you off, actually, right, when he gets to his hometown. And I can't help but go back to this verse that we kind of ended with in the temptation of the devil. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. I think the devil was more active than we'd kind of give him credit for. You look at this, this scenario, this scene that unfolds, I truly believe that the devil has his hands working kind of at all times in the world, Right? I don't think he's done tempting him in the wilderness. I think it it goes straight from that place to this other place, and the devil is still at work. He's still using people around him. It's almost like um, he goes to his hometown, right, where it's this place where we all want to kind of go back to our hometowns and show people what we've become, right? I know there's athletes that, that if they'll play in their home arenas or their home fields, they'll buy out entire sections just to give to their hometown people, just say, hey, look, I made it. And now Jesus goes back to his hometown, and he is immediately like threatened with his life. That's not the homecoming that I would want. And it's almost like there's this reverberation, this echo in the back of Jesus' head, maybe, where it's like God, the devil is saying, hey, if you listen to me before, these people will be bowing down before you, man. If you listen to me, I could have given you all these kingdoms, and these very people that want to kill you, they'd be bowing down at your power. 
But that's not what Jesus did when he interacted with the devil in the wilderness. And that's not what he's going to do when he interacts with these people who are questioning his identity. Again, he surrenders himself. He has been preparing for this moment for a very long time. And when the boots are on the ground and it's time to go to work, he still surrenders himself. He's still about fulfilling God's God's word in this world. Even when he's tempted by the devil and even when he's tempted by people. And and I am reading into this. I get it. I'm not trying to bring extra words to the Bible. But I want to see Jesus as a human being because he was. Right? Right? Come on. Nod your heads. He was man and he was God. That's a must. And he's having surely a crisis here where it's like, I am I was affirmed by God that I'm his son. But now the devil is saying, if I'm, the, if I'm the God's son, and these people are saying, isn't this Joseph's son? There's this conflict stirring up. But Jesus does what Jesus does. He's fully obedient. He fully surrenders. And he knows who he is. That's the ultimate thing. The wilderness is the ultimate test, but it's really only the beginning for Jesus. It's the saying, yes, to God's yes. It's the doing his work and fulfilling God's work there on earth. But I want to, and I, I kind of briefly mentioned this, but I want you to see how Jesus entered the wilderness and how he entered his hometown. He entered the wilderness full of the Spirit, and he enters his hometown in the power of the Spirit. That seems very significant. So I want to kind of land here today. We're talking about this wilderness. We're talking about being prepared and all the things we've been doing to be in a place where we're mature Christians and we're going out into the world, we're seeking the lost, and we're trying to be discipleship-driven, right? How can we leverage difficult situations and glorify God in our weakness? Because that's what Jesus is doing, right? For 40 days he's fasting. That's pretty weak to me. He's going to this place, his hometown, where they're questioning his every move. That seems like a place of weakness, right? That could be a place of weakness. But it seems that Jesus uses those places to leverage something else. And I'm I'm using that word on purpose because a lot of times mindset does matter. And sometimes if you're in a bad place, you want to stay in that bad place. You You might not say that, but you get yourself in a spiral to stay in that bad place. What? Misery loves what? Company. We, we do that so often. So I want to kind of change the way we look at difficult situations, change the way we look at wilderness, change the way we look at our weaknesses, and leverage, that, excuse me, leverage those as opportunities to glorify God. The first is this, to see the wilderness as an opportunity. See the wilderness as an opportunity. I had a uh, coach at one point in my life, a golf coach, who would talk about, you need to go practice in the rain. When it's raining, don't stay home, right? Why? It's not going to be perfect conditions all the time. You need to know how to practice in the rain. Guess who's not practicing the rain? The people who don't want it as much, right? See that rain as an opportunity to grow more in your game, and your competitive advantage will be that much higher. We see it in all the different walks of our lives. See, professionally, I'm sure that there's times in school where you have like the the, the way things ought to go, and then you bring it to the real world, and the real world is different from the textbook. You know what I mean? It's like when I try to fix something in my house, and this YouTube video makes it look really simple, but then my house isn't as simple. And then what do I do in those situations? I get frustrated. I get mad at YouTube. I get mad at everybody in my life. 
And then my wife has to be like, no, calm down. Learn how to do this this way so that next time you'll be able to build on that for something else. If I could, if I could rewire myself to see difficult times as an opportunity to learn, I think my life would be so much better. The people's lives around me would probably be so much better too. But the wilderness as an opportunity, it's going to take a hard reset because no one likes to be put on the spot when you're not ready. I didn't love being put on the spot that random Wednesday night when I didn't have anything prepared. But those kind of moments, they stretch you. If you see it as, oh, man, i got to do this again, you're going to keep spiraling down that path. You're not going to be emulating Jesus where he builds and builds and builds. You're going to emulate the world. Why couldn't it be so easy? right? Why, why can't this be easier to me? See the wilderness as an opportunity. And the second thing is this. I feel like this has been a point for like 90% of my sermons. So if you feel like I'm repeating myself, I am. But Paul, Paul does it all the time. So I think we can do it too, okay? And the reason why I think it's worth repeating is that I don't think we actually buy into this being the reality that it is. The power of the Holy Spirit is incredible. And this is the verse that's always in the back of my mind when I think about the Holy Spirit. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies because the Spirit who lives in you. Just like Leon talked about last week, God became man so that we can become gods, right? If this is true, the church should look really different. If we actually believe that the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that defied all the laws of nature in totality, right? Not only is he walking on water, multiplying fish, and doing all these crazy, miraculous things in life, once he's dead, death cannot hold him down. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Let's realize that. And the opportunities that are scary, we can say, you know what, I'm not by myself. Just like in Exodus, the spirit never left the Israelites. Just like Jesus, when he gives the Great Commission, he says, I will be with you always. That promise is affirmed over and over and over again. Jesus himself even says, it's good that I go because after me comes someone who's going to be even better than me. This is the better than me that Jesus is talking about. The spirit of Christ that rose him from the dead is living in you. Realize that power today. I think there's something to be said about tough experiences. And I don't know what's going on in your lives whatsoever to the point that you know it, right? You might share a little bit, but recognizing the wilderness for what it is changes the way that we can interact with the world. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the example uh, that you set forth in Jesus here, uh, that we can be more aware we can be uh, using the wilderness as an opportunity. We can be more aware of the power of the Spirit in our lives. God, help us to tap into that more often. Help us to see it as opportunity. Help us to recognize that we are not alone, that you are always with us. So Jesus, let me pray. Amen. If you have any needs at all, if you're saying, you know what, I've got plenty of misery, I've got plenty of wilderness, and I'm not ready for it, you're not alone. You're never alone. You're never alone. You, you always have the Spirit. You always have Jesus, but you always have your family. That's a great benefit of doing these baby dedications like this. 
but it's not just extended to the families that have children. That same covenant is made to each other, right? We are here for each other. If you want to be baptized, we can make that happen. If you want to study more, we can make that happen. If you disagree with everything I say, I don't care as long as you come and talk to me about it because then we can have a conversation and see what Jesus is doing. But if you have any needs at all, we want to let you know that you can come forward, you can go backward, you can text, you can do whatever you need to do, but whatever it is, you need to talk to somebody today as we stand and sing.